0: Welcome to the Tech Humanist Show, a multimedia format program exploring how data and technology shape the human experience. I'm your host, Kate O'Neill. This week... Once we break away from these
1: screens, when we move from this into glasses, into, you know, any type of glasses, I call it the Ray-Ban moment for some reason. I imagine myself wearing these really cool Ray-Bans. But I'm going to be seeing content, this content that I'm usually seeing on my phone, I'm going to see it in front of me. So you start to think about that. How is content going to change? Because right now, content is flat. I'm seeing it on a screen. Even if it's a 3D model, it's still a flat screen.
0: Futurist speaker and author Kathy Hackle is a globally recognized augmented reality, virtual reality, and spatial computing thought leader. She's been named one of the top 10 tech voices on LinkedIn for two years in a row, the highest honor on the platform. She currently works as part of the Enterprise team at one of the industry's top OEMs. Prior to that, Kathy was the lead futurist at You Are Here Labs, where she led agencies, brands, and companies in applying augmented reality and virtual reality for marketing and training, working with brands like AT&T and Porsche. Hackle, (laughs) Hackle, Kathy worked as a VR evangelist for HTC Vive or Vive. I'll have to ask how that's pronounced. I always see it, I I never hear it said. Okay, so HTC Vive during the launch of their enterprise VR headset and during the company's partnership with Warner Brothers blockbuster Ready Player One. She's the co-author of Marketing New Realities, the first AR/VR marketing book ever written. She also worked as chief communications officer for cinematic VR studio Future Lighthouse, where she collaborated on projects with Sony Pictures Entertainment, Oculus, Beefeater, and William Morris Endeavor. Hackle has been featured in media outlets like Forbes, Barron's, Salon, VentureBeat, Digiday, TechTarget, CMO.com, and Mashable. She's a global advisor for VRAR Association and was recognized in 2016 by NBC News as one of the top Latino women working in VR. Before working in spatial computing and technology, she worked as a communicator at media companies such as CNN, Discovery, and ABC News, and was nominated in 2007 for an Emmy Award for her storytelling work. She's also the creator of the world's first holographic press release, and loves all things spatial computing, artificial intelligence, and futurism. Kathy is currently working on her second book, The Augmented Workforce, How AI, AR, and 5G Will Impact Every Dollar You Make, co-authoring the book with John Bazell. Please welcome my friend, Kathy Hackle. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so pumped to be here. I'm so excited. Oh my gosh. It's been it feels like it's been a lifetime since you were in New York. It was like maybe a year yeah. ago, I guess, and we saw yeah. uh the augmented reality art show, which was amazing. You it was probably...
1: September of last year. It's been more than a year, so <laughs> Yeah, it, it seems like a decade ago, right? But... Yeah,
0: it feels like a lifetime, like a, a real whole lot of stuff has happened. I talked to somebody this morning on a Zoom call, and we were like, we ran into each other about that time on the street in New York, which does happen, incidentally, as people people often are like, boy, it must be an anonymous city to live in. Like, no, actually, <laughs> you do see people you know. Um, And, and it's just been like, we, we were trying to cover all the wide range of things that have happened in, in between, and you just can't, you just can't. Yeah. But, but so now, yeah, yeah. And so, so what's interesting is that in this year, amidst all the the tragedy and and sadness of it, also what's been interesting though, has been the shift to augmented and virtual workspaces and workforces, in fact. So that really leads right into the themes that you're working with, right?
1: Completely. I mean, it's, it does feel like, you know, it's been, uh, you know, we've accelerated 10 years and (laughs) in a year something like that. A lot of things that I thought I'd see further down the line with VR adoption, uh, with AR, you know, you're starting to see them a lot sooner. So that's, that's quite exciting. You know, having worked in this industry for the past five years, and always thinking this is the year of VR, this is the year of VR, right? I'm not saying that 2020 is necessarily the year of VR, but I think we're getting closer. So that's, that's, uh, you know, an exciting time for sure. And yeah, definitely a lot of a lot of growth and also a lot of changes in the VR space. But uh, yeah, it's just an exciting time to be part of the industry. I don't know how to explain it. It's yeah, it, it's truly exciting. I mean, I think every year is exciting. But this year, it's despite the, the pandemic and everything, it's exciting to be part of the industry.
0: Right? Yeah, I think that's it is like, you know, you, you need the caveat, because nobody wants to have this pandemic happening. Uh, but certainly it, it has provided the backdrop, or, or it has provided the incentive, I should say, for the transition that we were all sort of anticipating happening more gradually, which is, I think, what we're what we're both sort of saying here. So what have you seen happening at scale in the last year? Year that you only saw happening like in, in dribs and drabs before that? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think you've got further adoption on the enterprise side. So you see more and more companies like DHL, like uh, Shell, like Volkswagen having meetings in virtual reality. So what they've done is they've sent their executives or team members a virtual reality headset and they put on the headset and they go into these virtual meeting rooms, uh, virtual reality meeting rooms and kind of have collaborative meetings and experiences and it, it, you do have a sense of presence when you're doing that. So that further acceleration, I, th- I think, has been really exciting. And then from a from a consumer standpoint or like a bigger mass market, let's say, i yeah, seeing seen what's been happening with concerts, with virtualized concerts, everything from, you know, a concert in Roblox that, that's happening soon to concerts in virtual reality to even Burning Man. Burning Man had a whole virtual reality. Um, you know, it was Burning Man, Burning Man in virtual reality with, I don't know. I think the total they had about—I can't remember the exact number—but it was like a hundred thousand, something like—I don't know what the number is. To be honest, like I don't want to say the number, but it's like ninety thousand people together at the same time in VR. I—I don't think it's ninety thousand quite quite there, but—but but it was a, a large number. And just having all those people together in this Burning Man camp in virtual reality, you know, it's a small number, but it just shows that we're getting there, right? We're slowly getting there to to that to that mass adoption.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's just that it seems like it's across a bunch of different use cases that's so interesting. So yeah. you have you know Burning Hand on, or sorry, Burning Man, <laughs> Burning Man, Burning Man on <laughs> one hand, uh, and Shell and the other enterprise examples that you mm-hmm. mentioned on the other, where you know you're trying to address different needs, different kinds of problems to solve, and and that's what I think for me what's been interesting about watching this year is that you have so many different kinds of. Uh, entertainment that needed to be, you know, replaced in a sense, and uh, in-person meetings and conferences and uh, so many kinds of things. So you are actually seeing something that looks like an approximation of like, uh, when when you see people gathering in virtual reality for things like conferences, or something like Burning Man, Mm -hmm. are you seeing the experience that feels like Yeah, this is something like it's obviously not being at Burning Man. It's obviously not being at the conference in person. But does it feel like something? I mean, I I just wonder what your take on that is. It does. I mean, it feels I have that sense of
1: presence that I don't necessarily get from Zoom call necessarily. Right. So like I I spend obviously a lot of time in social virtual reality with my friends and and I love it. Like I, I was just thinking the other day, I was like, oh, I haven't seen this other friend in VR for a while. I wonder what's up. But it's it's been a good substitute of sorts to not being able to travel to conferences and not being able to have that interaction. I'll give you an example, like with the Wall Street Journal, um, they had the WSJ Tech Live, which is their big tech conference, and they had certain parts of it were in VR, and that was a lot of fun. I mean, I had I was in in Spatial, which is one of the platforms hanging out with Joanna Stern and (laughs) with Jason Mims and and like in this kind of experience where like, I actually had to, I got to spend some one-on-one time with them. And, you know, I don't think, I don't think, I don't know if I would have gotten that if I was in, you know, in in a zoom call. And I don't know if I would have gotten that in person either. Because I don't know, a lot of people probably wanted to hang out with them, but you know, it's, it's been a really interesting time. I have to say a very interesting time. And that sense of presence is palpable. I mean, I've done everything from virtual reality escape rooms to virtual reality concerts to all sorts of activities at this point. And I just I have such a great time. I wish more people could experience it because I think it's when you talk about it, it's really nice to talk about it. But people don't really get it. Once you put on the headset and you're in this virtualized space, you you know, those are memories. I have memories of VR experiences because my eyes you know, believe what they see. I'm in this experience. I'm in an avatar, which is fine, but I'm having a social experience with my friends. I, for example, Oculus had um, venues, and they had a concert with Steve Aoki, and I mean, I met with four, four or five of my like, good friends in there. We had a blast. <laughs> we had a blast. We danced there. You know, we danced the, the 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 you know, we danced our tushies off. It was great. <laughs> So, so yeah, I mean, I feel like I went to a concert with them, even though it was a virtual reality concert. So, so I'm excited about that.
0: That's amazing. Cause I, you know, all the virtual reality experiences I've had have been exciting, mm-hmm. but with that sort of, this sort of mental caveat of like, yeah, but it's also, it's not it's not there and it's not, it's not real and it's not, doesn't feel real. So, so you're having probably far more advanced uh, versions of those experiences, which is, which is exciting to know that that's what lie, what maybe lies ahead.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're in this, for example, I did one called uh, Dr. Crumb's disobedient pets, which is pretty much an escape room, right? So I'm in there, I'm in an avatar of a hamster. My friend's in an avatar of a cat and we got to solve all these puzzles and there's a whole story, but like, we got to do it. Like, we have to move this this year and this here to be able to open the door and like we had such a good time. I, I don't know how to explain it. Like we really had a blast. And it's, you know, yeah, if we would have been in a physical escape room, we would have had to do some of those things as well. So so yeah, I mean, it's to me it's just been a lot of fun, exciting, the possibilities are there. I think something else that I'm noticing that I think is extremely interesting too, and and it's not so much VR because I don't wanna just focus on VR because right. it's VR, AR. You know, an XR, which is extended reality is an umbrella term. It's also kind of what's happening in our phones. You know, we're going to brick and mortar, but we're going to brick and mortar less, Mm -hmm. obviously, because of the pandemic and just trends in general. So you start to see this need for that virtual try on for using augmented reality to buy your makeup or to buy clothes, what have you. And it's also transitioning not only from the virtual try on, but it's transitioning into what I'm calling the direct to avatar economy. Hmm. so we're selling direct to avatars and you start to see this i it, it's a you know and I'm, I'm exploring this in a lot of my writing everything from virtual dresses that you're buying or custom avatars uh you know for the venice film festival we had uh, a developer create custom avatars for several women in vr so we have our custom avatar in vr chat things like that you know you're starting to create this virtualized economy that you know it's been there for a long time with second life but i think now it's like when you really try to put terms together and understand it's a direct to avatar economy. So yeah, everything from, and this is the reason I always talk about this now is because my son recently, my son is eight years old. He recently did his first communion. And when we, when we said, Hey, what do you want for, for, you know, as a gift, what do you want as a gift? Right. He said, "Uh, I don't want money. I don't want like cash. I want a Roblox gift card that I can turn into Robux, which is the currency that you use inside Roblox, so I can buy so-and-so, whichever gamer's skin, right? So it's the, the, like the skin for their <laughs> avatars. So, and, and you know, when I was growing up, like my, my brother was saving up to buy Air Jordans, right? <laughs> That's what he wanted, he wanted Air Jordans. My son doesn't want that, he wants, to, <laughs> you know, he wants Robux, which is a digital currency inside a video game to buy something to do for his avatar. So, so both wanting this, to
0: wear something just in mm-hmm. different modalities. <laughs> in
1: different modalities. You start to think this is di- direct to avatar. Is direct to avatar the next direct to consumer?
0: And that's the question I pose in, in some of my writing. Yeah. So I've seen some of your writing talking about things like, as you mentioned, uh, like virtual makeup, for example. Mm-hmm. And and that seems like, uh, you know, that, that goes beyond the uh the sort of second life or you know the virtual meeting space sort of thing because we're all having so many of these you know zoom calls and everything every day that the idea that you know i remember this scene and i think it was in fifth element where there's a, a, a this tool that sort of slaps up onto the one character's face and it's just a full face of makeup you remember that scene yep I just remember seeing that scene and going like, can I have that please? <laughs> like well, the idea right that you we could just live. be, what's that?
1: Yeah. Right before we went live, I was like, okay, I got two minutes to go put makeup on. Oh, and then I was like, L'Oreal just released a digital first uh, makeup line. I was like, man, if they could incorporate that into my Skype, like that would just be great because I would have to not worry about this. And I would just be like, boom. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah so, so yeah i mean
0: it's got its positives oh uh. yeah and you could you could do you know a face tattoo if you wanted to you could do any kind of thing so yeah i mean it's definitely not uh this is this is not gals only for any guys watching and and we're moving so beyond like binary gender anyway so this is this is a fun area that that i think is gonna be fun to explore so direct to avatar economy that's a great a great concept for us to take forward and you see you know you know i'm glad you clarified or you you moved into the discussion about augmented because for me augmented reality is like where it's at like i i often tell the story about how you know there have only been two technologies that I've like seen for the first time in in my life that I got like the tingles on the back of my spine and the first one was the graphical web like saw that and I just went this is going to change everything and of course it did and then I saw augmented reality that was the on- only the second technology that I ever saw that gave me that feeling and the sense of like this is going to change everything and I don't think it has yet. <laughs> I think we're <laughs> we're still yet to see it play out, yeah. you know, how fully it could change everything. But do you feel that way about it too, in a sense? Yeah, it, it, but it's, this is how
1: I view it because obviously having working in the industry, I see it a little bit different. I see this, like the merging of the digital and the physical coming together uh-huh. and this creation or enabling of the metaverse or the AR cloud or the spatial internet or whatever term there's many terms to describe this this convergence right where the world's painted in data where the world becomes machine readable clickable likable and what happens is this is kind of how i how i explain it to people it's once we break away from these screens when we move from this into glasses into you know any type of glasses i call it the ray-ban moment for some reason like i imagine myself wearing these really cool ray-bans but I'm going to be seeing content. This content that I'm usually seeing on my phone, I'm going to see it in front of me. So you start to think about that. How is content going to change? Because right now, content is flat. I'm seeing it on a screen. Even if it's a 3D model, it's still a flat screen, mm-hmm. right? But then you're actually going to be putting content in someone's reality, in someone's world. So that changes the paradigm, not only for the big box stores and the big corporations, but also for the mom pop shops. And the restaurants. Um, I have a friend who, who's one of the co-founders of um, of Meow Wolf, which some of you guys might know. But mm-hmm. Meow Wolf is very, very, you know, it's experiential art and experiences, just amazing stuff. And he just set up a new, uh, a new company called, gosh, what is the name? I cannot remember what the name is. But basically, what he's doing is is starting to prepare spatial programming, and spatial with a T, by the way, not space, spatial, like spatial as in spatial computing with a T. Um, where he's starting to kind of create spatial programming for companies because eventually that's what we're going to expect. They're going to, you know, right now they expect to see your Google review, they expect to see, you know, um, you know, all these things, eventually that's going to be up here and it's going to be in their field of view. So, so yeah, I mean, this kind of transition into the metaverse, I think is quite exciting and, and really does change everything.
0: Yeah, yeah, it really seems like it. And and for me, a lot of what was exciting that first time I saw it is because I think about the it's like as you're explaining that it's layers of context and meaning. And so, you know, a lot of my work has to do with meaning. And I'm thinking about, of course, wayfinding is sort of a classic Mm -hmm. example of this, right? As you're navigating through a city, and you're potentially being shown your directions uh, as you move, but you could be being shown other meaningful things too, like history and and the context of the buildings around you and so on. Uh, That seems powerful, but then, you know, you, you talk about all the other industries, like you just, you know, gave some retail examples, I think about healthcare, I think about so mm-hmm. many kinds of industries, uh, that the, where that seems applicable and powerful. W- what do you think is going to get there first? Is it retail that you, you imagine is going to be where we see some of the power really unleashed? Uh, in, I think In demonstration? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, for a mass market, probably. Um, I, you know, it's already happening on social media, right, mm-hmm. with lenses and all these different activations. I mean, Snapchat is doing a great work as 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 Instagram, Facebook are uh, related to AR. But I, you know, I think you're already seeing it in the in the like the manufacturing side, this adoption. Um, I'm personally, you know, really interested in, and and I, I don't know if I wasn't really planning to talk about this, but I'll talk about this here is using these technologies um, as, as what I call the printing press of the future. Okay. So when you had, you know, the other day I went, not the other day, last year, I went to the Library of Congress and they have a Gutenberg Bible there, you know, and I, it's, I, I stood in front of it and I kind of looked at it and I said, wow, you know, what an impact the printing press has you know, had in our society. I think everyone agrees on that. And then I started to think, but wait, what is the future of memories? What is the future of stories? What is the future of how we will retain history? And I started to think through how VR, AR, volumetric video, 3D models are the printing press of the future, right? And the reason I arrived at this is also related to a project I'm working on. I was working on a virtual reality project and we wanted to incorporate a hologram. And it was gonna be the hologram we were gonna volumetrically scan um, the former first lady of Costa Rica that was alive when um, when in 1948, the Costa Rican army was abolished. So, our Costa Rica does not have an army. It invests its money in education and other things, right? So, uh, this former first lady of Costa Rica was 102 and a half. We were coordinating, uh, coordinating everything to get her up here to D.C. to Avatar Dimension to get her volumetrically scanned and have a hologram of her and she got coronavirus and died. Oh. And it was a race against time and i feel that there is a huge need to volumetrically scan and capture the stories of historical figures whether it's holocaust survivors so we can retain those stories and make sure that that lives on to you know to heritage anything related to a, a native a, a, you know a language that might be dying any a dance that might be going away so i feel this strong and and i'm so passionate about this about using these technologies for historical preservation Um, you know and and i'm currently working on creating a program with avatar dimension for that specifically and thinking up through the concept of we are the these technologies are the printing press of the future so and i wasn't really planning on talking about that but i just i I feel the need to share it because imagine if you're walking around and and there's historical figures and, and you have actual stories living stories of of the things that happen somewhere. Right. Yeah. I think that that might be, you know, I don't know. It just, it speaks to me at this moment.
0: Oh, sure. I'm glad you did share it. I mean, that's a powerful, a powerful illustration and it's something to imagine for us. It, it also, it seems like a an interesting segue into a, a question I wanted to ask you, because when I had Caitlin Eucalypt Phillips here on the show as a guest, we talked about, uh, of course, her book *The Future of Feeling*, and she interviewed you for that that book. And we talked about you just a little bit, uh, and and about your story, uh, um, about how VR was helpful for you in in terms of uh, uh, regaining a, a sense of emotional connectedness. And I'd love to hear that from you. You know, you know, we we I think in the context I should should set up a little better is that you know normally I think. Uh, or or sort of conventionally, when people talk about virtual reality, there's this discussion about empathy about how it it's a yeah. you know the sort of Chris milk empathy machine discourse comes up, and uh, there's there's a lot of discussion about that. Caitlin took that apart a little bit and examined it in her book. um but one of the subjects that she talked about was about your your experience with it. Could you relay some of that for us uh, firsthand?
1: yeah. Yeah, because it is part of my narrative and part of the story on how I arrived at VR. Um, so if this goes all the way back to 2004. I was working for CNN. Um, part of my job was to look at all the raw footage that was coming in from the war in Iraq back then. So, uh, I mean, it was my job to sit through gruesome things like beheadings and, and, and things that people don't really want to sit through, right? And I don't want to put those images in people's heads, so I'm not, I, won't go, I won't go into detail. But that was part of my job. I had to sit through those. To alert affiliates if there was sensitive material in in Part X, right? Um, so I always say, and I jokingly say, I was a Facebook moderator before there were Facebook moderators, <laughs> uh, because that was my job. I had to sit through this. And when you have that type of role, you you have to in some way turn your humanity switch off just a little bit, or maybe not turn it off, but dial it down um, in some ways, just to just to try to try to get by and leave that part compared, you know, that part, I can't say that word, compartmentalized uh, over here, right? So, so it wasn't, you know, fast forward uh, to about five years ago, I went to a conference, I was speaking at that conference about live video, which is what I used to do. And um, I was invited to put on a VR headset, it was the first time. And I went into an experience called confinement that was created by The Guardian. And it's an experience that puts you in a very small, solitary confinement cell where prisoners spend 90% of their time. And within a couple of minutes of being in that cell, I I mean, I took the headset off. I was claustrophobic and and there was something in me. And the only way I can explain it is like the switch was turned back on or the dial was turned. Hmm. And I felt, I felt, you know, I, I eventually felt empathy, or I prefer the term compassion, to be honest, for these people in, in, in solitary confinement. And, um, and, and yeah, it just changed me after that, I said, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And, and, you know, how to how, how to how the heck do I get into this industry? And it's been a journey. It's been, you know, five years it has been quite a journey since and, and yeah, it just um, and to that point about empathy. I mean, I think empathy is a beautiful word. And we need empathy. But I, I prefer to term that use the term compassion because i feel that compassion empathy makes me feel feel for someone else makes me feel you know bad or whatever it is for that person but i think compassion really leads to action mm-hmm. and i think that that's more important if 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 this can lead me to donate or if this can lead me to truly care uh, about something then i think compassion might might be the right word to use uh, i've you know i i'm fine with empathy i just think compassion might be a better word to use in this context
0: that's a great argument i, I think that's uh mm-hmm. it's worth uh considering <laughs> so what about now as you think about the uses of VR and AR what ways do you see them being used currently uh, or about to be used like do you imagine they're about to be used that could help foster more compassion amongst other people and yeah. help lead to greater action
1: I think several I recently um, did a talk for the Department of Labor where we were you know we were discussing, The 30 years of the Americans with Disabilities Act and how technology, how some of this technology is going to allow people that have some level of disability to have access to jobs that they were not able to have before. And I think that that's a very powerful use. You know, anything related to accessibility and allowing, you know, allowing someone that can't see to be able to see. I mean, that's power. That's 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 technology for good. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's what makes me excited, right? So, so definitely things like that. I'm I'm looking right now also, and the Scientific Scientific American had an article about this yesterday, about using digital twins for med- medical for medical purposes. So, creating these digital twins, there's digital copies of who we, of us with our organs, and having doctors being able to see that and, and in some way technologically trying out uh, potential treatments to see what could happen. I think that there's something there. I think that that is. Very powerful. Um, NTT NTT Research, for example, has I think they're dedicating 250 million dollars to this initiative, which is creating these digital twins or digital copies of us um, to be able to see what would happen if we did this. And um, and I think that that's powerful. Um, once again, if you think about it from the medical standpoint, um, having having you know residents or you know students being able to dissect a virtual cadaver. Uh, multiple times before they get to the real cadaver, or practicing a surgery 100 times before they get to the surgery. I mean, I, I would prefer to know that my doctor or my surgeon practice this a million times, you know, in, in real life, but also virtually, uh, before they get to my surgery, right? So, so I think that that kind of use is exciting. Um, and and I think, I think what you talk about when it comes to, you know, tech, tech humanists, and, and, and kind of, thinking through, this technology is designed for humans, right? It's human-centered design at the end of the day. It's how is this useful to humans? And I think that that's powerful because we tend to forget that. And we tend to over-index on the technology. I mean, I hear it all the time, like, technology, AI, it's going to take all the jobs, it's going to take all the jobs. It's like, no, you're missing the point. It will it will automate jobs and it will take some jobs, but it is going to create new jobs And it's also going to allow us as workers to, you know, to do jobs in a different way. It's more, I don't see it as something that replaces. I see it more as something that can complement us. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a change in the narrative that I would love to see happen.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a complimentary <laughs> to, uh complimentary to the way I talk about it, too, although I think it is important that we're very eyes wide open about the displacement that that really and replacement that really could happen and, and will happen, and how it affects individual as well as groups of, of workers. Um, so with that in mind, I guess I want to ask you, you know, what when it comes to ar vr and spatial computing with a t <laughs> what do you feel like we need to be cautious about what do, you, what do you feel like some of the the areas where we need guardrails that we need to be thinking about the consequences of this development in terms of human impact
1: a hundred percent i think privacy uh, i think you had you you had a talk with um, david ryan Polger the other day i mean privacy ethics incredibly important i don't want us to you know in 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 in, you know a decade and a half be having the conversations that we're having now. You know, with people watching the social dilemma on Netflix and be like, I had no idea. I'm like, no, they've been doing this like the whole time, people. (laughs) Right? I was like, how did you not know that? But anyway, I think we need to have those conversations now. I'm I'm very lucky in a way to live in Washington DC. And I say that, you know, (laughs) in in a weird way being take the
0: the good with the bad
1: but from the fact that I live here I actually get to see what's going on in Capitol Hill so from a VR AR perspective and I'm not trying to get political from a VR AR perspective there's actually a reality caucus so AR VR MR reality caucus on the hill um there there was the introduction last year of HR 4103 which is a bill that seeks to explore the use of AR and VR for professional development and training of federal workers. It's going to be reintroduced in the next Congress. So there's a lot of things that I start to see here that I think are incredibly important, and the conversations that we need to have about these technologies need to happen, and they start here. They should start here at least, yeah. from uh, you know from from a, from that perspective. So I do feel lucky to be here and be able to see that and be able to kind of be a part of that.
0: That's great. Do you feel like there are additional regulations that uh, that need to be discussed in terms of specifically of spatial computing and AR or VR? I don't necessarily
1: want to get too, too down in the weeds with that. I do think that there are frameworks that are getting put out right now. The XRSI framework is, is definitely worth a read. So yeah, I think, you know, it has to be managed responsibly because it is putting that digital into our reality. I mean, that's a huge impact. Right? It seems
0: like you, know, you mentioned privacy as one of the areas we need to be cautious. Mm-hmm. So as long as we're putting regulations in place around privacy with a mindset of, you know, that we're talking about also, you know, this physical presence kind of, of yeah. usage, these, these um, the, you know, mixed reality kinds of usages, that that seems like a... An important point. Hey, I wanted to mention that we have a comment from Jerry Gobb says, how about user isolation and negative social effects? Do you want to speak to that concern? You mean in virtual reality? Yeah, I think I think that might yeah. be what he's uh, asking about. Yeah, just mm-hmm. in terms of the, the use of, of these augmented, presumably more virtual reality than augmented yeah. reality.
1: Well, I mean, I think that's always been a problem in some ways with any technology, right? Gaming... That's also been a big debate in gaming, like kids spending so much time just playing games. I, you know, I'm a fan of my kids playing games. I do ask them to kind of balance it, right? (laughs) They can play with their socialize with their friends on Roblox, but still go play a soccer game, uh, an actual physical soccer game. So, so I think it's a balance. I I do think that a lot of the companies working in, in making VR better are looking at it as a social platform, as a platform where you can come and enjoy and have fun with your friends and your family. So I'm excited about that. I mean, yeah, I I do worry. I don't want us to, this is the thing. People always tend to think ready player one, right? So pretty dystopian, right? The world has gone to hell and we can only put a headset on to go into the oasis. And that's the only thing I'm like, I'm I'm more protopian. I have a more protopian approach. I'm not utopian necessarily, but I'm not necessarily dystopian. And I think that, yeah, I mean, I think certain people are gonna suffer from, from isolation, but at the other side of the coin, You know, one of the one of the um, the nonprofits that I used to serve on the whole intent, the whole role and purpose of this nonprofit was to take virtual reality to homebound seniors. So that senior for 20 minutes put on a headset and went to a beach in Hawaii. I means yeah. Took them out of place, right? So it's 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 two sides to the coin. Sure. Everything has to be in balance. And um, I
0: I think we've all seen this year. You know, many of us have experienced. You know, sort of quasi homeboundness and what it means to us to be able to connect with others in virtual space, or, or you know, at least in some sort of virtual connection has been invaluable. So yeah, there there seems like there's both sides of that coin for sure.
1: Yeah, and, and this is, I think, the other thing. When I talk to my children, I had a call, I, I talked with them the other day about Roblox. That's their preferred video game. I said it's a video game. So I, I was recording them and I said, Guys, tell me about Roblox. And instead of saying, Oh, it's a video game, the first thing both of them said is, It's a community, mom. That's where we go to be, be with our friends and to see our friends. And that to me, if you think about it, is a completely different story perspective and i'm like okay so video games are the social media network of the future or you know whatever you want to call it right um they see it as a community that's where they spend time with their friends
0: it is right? it's so a great were, answer how much do you think that they uh were strategize that in advance and we're like okay here's what we gotta tell mom <laughs> no i don't think
1: they did that I, I, i'll every once in a while i'll just grab them and, and ask him a question the other day my son was like you know mom there's flying cars. They're testing flying cars right now. And I don't think the flying cars are that far off. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's great. Um I, <laughs> I start a lot of my a lot of my talks, I start them with a video of my son talking about where he sees technology going. Oh I so love that. Yeah. He ends up he says a gloves that can see through walls and like just goes off. Wow. On this. And I'm like, wow, I think he's asking for quite a lot. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it, it's it's exciting. So it, it's two sides of every coin and I don't want to dismiss the question because I think that, yes, there is a problem. I, I worry also from an air perspective how we view ourselves, especially young women mm-hmm. um, and, and men too. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's cool, But if we if we only use filters and if we only... You know use digital makeup <laughs> what happens right. when we actually meet someone in real life right it's partly what happens nowadays regardless with social media but when we, once we add those layers and those filters i don't want that to necessarily impact my daughter and think that she needs to look like you know like an anime or or what have you to be pretty so.
0: right right what other exciting tech are you keeping your eyes on besides flying cars and gloves that can see through walls <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I, I'm so I'm very keen right now on brain computer interface. So brain computer interface is pretty much, um, you know, the way I'm going to explain it is, if you've been following Elon Musk, you've probably heard of Neuralink. He's working on BCI if it's more internal. Mm-hmm. The ones I've been trying are all external devices. So I'm able to put a device on that reads my brain waves and reads my intent, mm-hmm. and it knows that I want to scroll an iPad, so I'm able to scroll an iPad, or I've been able to turn on lights just using just my thoughts, or uh, play a video game, or input a code. I've been able to all the- do all these things, and I- I'm very keen on it, very interested in seeing what's going on. I wrote a- several articles about BCI and Forbes that have been very well received. And, um, and, yeah, I think the biggest thing that has stuck with me from studying these technologies and trying them out from an external perspective Is that my brain actually really likes it loves the workout like i I, i'm thinking about it and i'm like the you know the the receptors here the pressure receptors are like lighting up i'm like oh my gosh um so i'm still (laughs) sitting with that is that a good thing or a bad thing i don't know um but i think these technologies can allow us to do a lot of things especially people with disabilities you know being able to use a hand a virtual hand that they if they don't have a hand being able to use a virtual hand to do things in a virtual space i think that's powerful So, yeah, I'm looking at that. I'm looking also, like I said, exploring the direct-to-Avatar economy and everything that's happening in the metaverse. That's obviously a bigger conversation. And I'm thinking through space, through space marketing, like in space with a C, like actual space. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been tracking that for a while, and it's just been interesting to see kind of where it's going uh, in in the sense of like, you know, taking marketing into space and kind of the... The you know the considerations we need to have there. Um, yeah. You know so. Yeah. I wrote an article about space marketing as well on, For- on Forbes. <laughs> I was like, are you serious? I was like, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. <laughs> this is happening. So.
0: That's great. Yeah, that there's definitely some big watch outs there. It seems like like we don't want billboards in space. Yeah. No.
1: No. <laughs> there's a company called Space Billboards, yeah, uh, but a lot of people definitely definitely got in pushback. <laughs> um, I was really interested in what L'Oreal did, um, no, Estee Lauder did recently, which was send up one of their serums uh, up to the uh, Inter- International Space Station and have the crew uh, take pictures <laughs> of the serum in space. So it's the first beauty product in space, right? Um, it was, I think, less than $200,000 for the whole thing. But it's interesting because it, it, it opened a lot of questions. So I'm like, so now the astronauts are content creators and creative directors, because they're the ones that have to do these shoots, right? Wow. <laughs> so, so I'm like, wait a second. And then even the price um, was it in the, I can't remember the exact year, but Pizza Hut sent up a pizza to the ISS to a cosmonaut. I think it was in the 90s, and they paid a million dollars for that. You know, it's like a little pizza, you know, a space pizza. They paid a million dollars for that pizza. I mean, they Lauder sends up their serum and it's $200,000. I'm like, wow, the price of space marketing is really going down substantially. <laughs> right. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. Uh, just things that I'm exploring and thinking through. Um, I think we're going to see space marketing activations during the World Cup in
0: 2022. Um, yeah, it could be interesting. Yeah, you notice it wasn't Domino's Pizza, though, because they couldn't deliver it in half an hour or less. There you go. <laughs> There's no way. No way. (laughs) Well, hey, I want to give you a chance. So two things. I want to make sure since this is our last live show of 2020, I want to go out with an optimistic view. So I want to give you a chance at the very end to say what you're hopeful about in terms of technology, that's solving human problems at scale. Uh, But I also want to give you a chance before we get to that to make sure that people know how to find and follow you and your work online.
1: Thank you. I mean, LinkedIn is really where I share a lot of great content and my opinions and and videos. Yeah, it's 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 really I think the best place for connect with me. Forbes is a great place to read my articles as well. But definitely LinkedIn. You can also go to my website, kathyhackle.com, and yeah, just you know, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. It's it's always fun to have those conversations.
0: Yeah, and you're sharing such interesting stuff all the time in all those places. So, so yeah, with that in mind, you, you know, you've got your eye on everything, you've talked already a lot about some things that you see coming, you know, sort of down the road. But when you think about, you know, what really could help solve human problems at scale? Thinking about climate change, thinking about you know refugee crises and and climate-based refugee crises that are going to amp up, uh, and and so many other problems. Not to mention the actual problems caused by emerging technologies and the shifts in work, geopolitical upheavals. You know, you name it. There there are a lot of, of problems. Oh, and of course, let's not forget COVID and 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 any other pandemics that might want to join the party. So. What do you think of when you think about what really feels hopeful in terms of either how tech can help solve these problems or just in general what you're what you're seeing that gives you hope for the future?
1: So I am very hopeful about the future. And I'm more protopian, like I said. And protopian really means that it's neither utopian or dystopian. The, reality, the truth is going to be somewhere in the middle. Technology is going to help us make us better. Um, it's, a, it's a progression towards better. But, you know, there are going to be downsides and there are going to be negatives. So I think that having kind of that protopian view helps. I also think I come to analyze things and and I come to analyze what the future, the potential futures could look like, right, from a from frameworks and from kind of uh, strategic foresight and being trained in that. And I think we can't over index and just focus on technology, even though that's my forte. And that's where I play most of the time. Mm -hmm. I cannot Allow myself to just do that. I have to think about the so- society, environmental, political, you know, all the different elements that play into the reality of of, of our world, right? So, mm-hmm. so once again, that's a, that's why I think being in D.C. is gives me an interesting bird's eye view of what's happening. So, so yeah, it's it, it, I you know I don't have the answer to that because if I did, I you know I'd be <laughs> I have a Nobel Peace Prize uh, at this point <laughs> if I had the answers to all those questions. But I do think that when we analyze something, I, I call it futures intelligence is really using not only the power of emerging technology, but also looking at all the different things related to society, political, economical, environmental, you know, uh, trends and kind of try to put those things together and better understand what are the potential futures, right? And when you, when you look at the futures and you look at the horizons and you say, okay, there's some of these are some of the potential futures that could occur what is a prefer- preferable future? What, how do we work towards that future? Right. So, so yeah, actually I'm working on a, a really interesting project with the armed forces of all, of all groups for creating and bringing one of their global futures report to virtual reality. So that instead of people reading just a, you know, a report, they're actually able to experience it in VR and kind of go through those, those potential futures and how does that change the way you make decisions So
0: so, yeah, that feels like a a very full circle moment for you with, you know, having just talked us through that live video sort of experience of the solitary confinement sort of situation and bringing that that sort of compassion to Mm -hmm. the military into um, conceptualizing what impact different actions could have. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. Thank you for doing that work. You're welcome. I'm excited. I'm really excited about this project. Well, fantastic. Well, I know we have to make sure you can get to your next meeting. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for being here. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. It's been a wonderful run of this series so far. Uh, I look forward to bringing you more in the future. And Kathy, thank you so much for being here with us.
1: Thank you. And Kate, thank you for doing the show and bringing amazing people to talk about really relevant and important things. I just want to thank you and um, and
0: congratulate you for the show. Oh, thank you so much, Kathy. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Tech Humanist Show. You can find more information about the show's guests and links to their projects at thetechhumanist.com, where you can also find more episodes, or you can subscribe at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Kate O'Neill. Join me next time for more about how data and technology shape the human experience.